Good morning. We want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning, and so glad you can be with us in this time of worship. If you are visiting with us, we uh, want to give you a very special welcome and glad that you can uh, participate in our time today, and we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, one of the ways you do that is just right after our service, we have our, our coffee and cookie time, and uh, just love to be able to meet you and uh, introduce yourself, and we get to know you better. Another way is after our evening service tonight, uh, we have our Labor Day picnic, uh, just a way to get to know a few more people after the service in the evening. And then uh, also we have uh, coming up next Sunday after our morning uh, worship and after Sunday school, we have our Redeemer Open House, which is just a free lunch. Uh, Dick and Janet Champ open their home uh, to uh, welcome uh, those that would like to get to know a few more people at Redeemer. Uh, They're going to be by the Welcome Center uh, uh, right after the service today if you'd like to meet them. Uh, Just a good way to connect. And uh, for any of those that are interested in coming, there's a link uh, in the bulletin in that announcement so you can sign up and they know how much food to prepare uh, for that particular Sunday. We'd just love to have you there uh, and get connected with a few more people. Maybe you've been coming to Redeemer for a while and uh, you are considering uh, joining the church, but you need a little bit more information to make that decision. And we have an inquirer's class that's beginning next Sunday morning. Uh, Pastor Jeff will lead that class in his office just down the education wing on the right. And uh, that'll be starting next Sunday. And I would love for you to be a part of that. You just have to email the church office, uh, office at uh, redeemer-opc.org and Um, Jeanette will get you signed up for that class. So a number of other announcements that you can look for in the bulletin, food pantry coming up on the 9th, a number of other things. Just take a look at what's there, and I would love to have you be part of the activities here at Redeemer. So let's take this moment now, prepare our hearts as we gather uh, before our God in worship. Are you tired this morning? Maybe physically, maybe relationally, maybe spiritually. Well, we know that there is one source uh, of true rest and true peace, and it comes by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our call to worship comes from Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Well, let us praise the Lord as we stand to sing his greatness.
most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come thankful that you have given us life, you have given us breath, that we might use all that you have given to us, that we might praise you because of who you are, because of what you have done through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we recognize the need uh, that we have for you, we thank you that we can be gathered around your table this morning, that we might uh, hunger uh, and thirst for righteousness and to know that by faith uh, we can receive uh, Christ and be built up and strengthened uh, in you. We know that this is only possible uh, because of the power of the cross and of his resurrection. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Coming to our Lord and praising Him for what He has done in the place of sinners like us gives us greater confidence to come before the throne of grace to confess uh, our sins. And one of the ways uh, that we have used in the past to uh, guide our confession was going through the Ten Commandments using the Westminster Larger Catechism. And uh, last winter uh, into the spring, we uh, completed the first uh, four uh, commandments, and now we pick up again on commandment uh, five, and uh, we're going to be looking uh, at uh, all the ways that this, uh, you know, we, the, the Ten Commandments is just a summary of God's law, and the, the larger catechism uh, unpacks just how much of God's character is demonstrated throughout uh, the Ten Commandments and what we are to do uh, in response. And so there's the uh, commandments uh, about the duties required and then the sins forbidden. And so we'll kind of go back and forth as the pattern of the confession. But first of all, let's hear the commandment itself uh, from Exodus chapter 20 uh, and looking at um, these, this whole section uh, that we have uh, here in the last part of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbors. And so to confess our faith, let's answer the question uh, together. Uh, what is the sum of the six commandments which contain our duty to man? The sum of the six commandments which contain our duty to man is to love our neighbor as ourselves and to do the others what we would have them do to us. And so again, we have love the Lord your God, right? First four commands, love your neighbor, last six commands. I personally see the fifth commandment as a bridge, right? Honoring the authority, Father God, right? Kind of have a bridge into our duty into man. And so when we look at uh, these commandments, perhaps there was one of those in the last six that pricked your heart of something that you have either not done or something you have done that you need to confess to the Lord. Let's take this moment in silent prayer and bring that confession to our God. Father, there are times when we are very clear as to the ways that our hearts have turned away from you. <clears throat> Other times we can't even think of something, and yet we know there's things, and yet they just don't come to mind very fresh and clear. And so we're grateful to you for your patience for you know our sin altogether. It was that very sin, even that which we did in ignorance, that was 
laid upon your one and only Son, who bore the wrath. We don't always recognize the cost of our sin, the cost of turning away from you. But that because your Spirit has worked love in our hearts for our Lord Jesus Christ, and love for you, our God. Love for the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to you. We recognize that our offense to you requires our confession. And so we want to prepare our hearts also as we come before you in, our t- in the table to know that we need to have our hearts right as we partake. And so we bring these confessions to you, acknowledging our incredible need for Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, the Lord gave us a wonderful promise from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, that is a promise to rejoice in, and our God is worthy of praise because Our faith is built upon one foundation of our Lord Jesus. Let us praise Him as we stand together.
Please join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, what a true blessing it is to gather this morning with our brothers and sisters here. Lord, too often we take for granted what we, these privileges that we have to just gather and to worship you, these freedoms that we have in this country, the opportunities we have that many do not. Lord, we take it for granted and we do not realize how much you have blessed each and every one of us here. Lord, this morning we thank you for the beautiful weather, the sunshine, as we can see the beauty of your creation as we look out the windows here, that we can enjoy it day by day. Lord, we thank you for this church and what a blessing it is both to the people here, to Ada, to Lowell, and to the world around as we support the different missions and other agencies that we help. Lord, this morning we ask that you be with Pastor Jeff as he brings us your word that the Spirit be upon him, that he may recall what he has studied and prepared for us. Lord, we also ask that the Spirit be upon us, that our minds may be ready, our hearts softened, that we may be ready to hear your word and to apply it to our lives. We ask that we will be pricked. Lord, and what a blessing it is this morning as we are able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross, not for the righteous, but for the sinner. Lord, we are thankful that we are able to gather and to partake of that. And now as we are about ready to take of the offering, Lord, we ask that you be of the gift and the giver alike as we return to you just a portion of the blessing that you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen.
Labor Day is not like Mother's Day or Father's Day. It's not celebrating a particular segment of our family. It's really celebrating the joy we have of working in God's world. And at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says in a chapter that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be honest with me, how many of us feel like our labor is often in vain? (laughs) Maybe it's the work that you go to and you feel like you're not making very much progress. Maybe you feel like you're not appreciated at your work. Maybe you feel like the children who are part of your work aren't growing up the way that you intend. Maybe you're hoping for a different job. Whatever it is, it feels like your labor is in vain. But there's a reason why Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 that our labor is not in vain, and that is because before he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to work, my friend, you are not working for yourself. You're not just working for your boss. You're not working to make money. You're working for King Jesus. And because of that, your labor is never in vain. It's impossible for it to be in vain. We spend our hours doing all sorts of things, and this morning we're going to bring each other before the Lord. There are many things to pray about. Many of them are printed in your bulletin. Others are sent out by email. Please make sure you subscribe if you would like to pray during the week. But it seems especially appropriate today, right before Labor Day, to thank God for our work and also to confess and celebrate what it means to work before His face. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, the very beginning of the book that you've given us, the Bible says that out of nothing you created the heavens and the earth. The very original description of you in the Bible is one of creator, one who is a worker, one who called everything into existence out of nothing, the one who set the world in order, the world that we live in, the trees, the sky, the grass, the birds, the people, the air that we breathe, the dirt that we walk on, all of it was created by you. And Father, it is right then when the Bible says that we were created in your image, in your likeness we were created, male and female we were created, that we would likewise be those who work. And the scriptures say that you created Adam and Eve and you put them in the garden and you commanded them to work there. And since that time, we have been workers in your world. Some of us are in the middle of that work now. Maybe we're lawyers or doctors or teachers Maybe you work in an assembly plant. Maybe our work is to take care of things at home. Maybe our work is to study and to learn. Maybe our work is sort of in the rear view mirror and we're retired. But all of us understand what it means to work. And Lord, we want to thank you today that you have placed us in this world. And you've called us to work. That our labor truly is not in vain that you have given us the joy of seeing a world that you have made and you've called us to unfold it because the creation celebrates you and reflects you as creator. But Lord, we also acknowledge this morning and we pray for each other because our work is often difficult. Maybe our boss called us into his office this previous week to tell us that we're underperforming. Maybe we fear that call. Maybe our work is not satisfying. We work hard at it, and yet we don't see the kind of production that we desire. Maybe our work is complicated because of the people we work with. Maybe our work is not what we imagined ever doing. 
Lord, whatever it is, we understand that not only did you place us in this world to work, but our work is now complicated by the corrupting and by the complicating effect of sin in this world. And it is, that for re- that, it is for that reason that we are thankful this morning to have 1 Corinthians 15, where after the great chapter in the resurrection is laid out before us, we have those beautiful words, words that Jesus Christ is the victor over death and sin, that nothing is able to stand in his way. Not only when we stand before you in eternity at the last day, not only then will sin be defeated, But Jesus Christ is working in this world to defeat sin even now. And therefore, Lord, we can say with confidence, if Jesus is our king, he is our ruler, our work truly is never empty. We need your help to see that that is true. Because often we feel like it is not. In fact, in our culture especially, we have divided up religion from the rest of life. We've made religion about the things that we're doing here, the time where we sing and study your word. But we have failed to connect what it means to be the children of the king with what it means during the week when we're doing our work. And so that work seems irrelevant. And Lord, we live in a culture where we are told not only is that true, but Lord, sometimes we believe that. We have acted as though it is true. So we need your help this morning and we pray, we beseech you that you would help us to see what it means to live for Jesus in the place that you've given us to work. That we would be honest and faithful and true and helpful. But we would also look at our work as a place to develop creation, to imitate you, in the way that you created and uphold all things, we're likewise called to unfold and to develop the world that you have made. Give us joy in that, Lord. Give us satisfaction in it. We confess that often we are told that our work is either meaningless or we're meant to find our deepest meaning in it. But the truth of your word is that neither one of those is true. Our work is not meaningless, and we are not meant to find our deepest satisfaction in it. We are meant to find our deepest identity, what it means to be truly human in relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we know Him as King and Lord, we can also work in a way to please Him, even if it sometimes is very difficult. Father, we are glad that you are king, that you're redeemer, that you are Lord. And that in this time, especially tomorrow, when we go to celebrate with friends and family the work that you've given us to do, we can do it in a truly Christian way. Not abandoning what it means to worship our Savior, but deeply thankful that our Savior is Lord over all. And because of that, we can go with courage and joy into our work, whatever it is. Father, you know the needs of our hearts. Maybe it is in this area of work. Maybe it's in our families. Maybe it's illnesses that we're struggling with. Maybe it's family relationships. Maybe it's our own sin that we struggle with deeply. Father, you know all of this. 
For as many people as are here, you know each heart. And so we are grateful to intercede for each other this morning. To say this morning, hear our prayer, Lord. Whether it is about our work or something else. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with hope. That as we pray to you, we would see in our Savior one who listens and one who responds in exactly the way that is good for his kingdom and also brings us to be more Christ-like. Give us endurance, give us patience, give us hope in the middle of whatever you've called us to do. Lord, you are good and kind, and now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open it as well. There are the preparations I have made, but Lord, the most important by far thing that is about to occur is the ministry of your Spirit. Your servant has been called to preach, but your Spirit gives us the confidence that what we hear comes from our God to us. May that really be true this morning. Fill us with confidence then as we hear your word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to turn in the Bible to a few chapters before the verse that I just referenced. And we're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 12 through 20 this morning. And then in the next two Sunday mornings, I'll be finishing this chapter. This is sort of the beginning of a new church year for us. You know, summer has passed. All the fun things that we have done. Many of you knew that or know that I was in Colorado with my oldest daughter this past week. It was amazing. I've talked so many times about the Grand Canyon. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. The Rocky Mountains are like the opposite. If the Grand Canyon is way deep, the Rocky Mountains are really high and truly spectacular. God has given us an amazing world. But now the vacations are past. Labor Day is the last hurrah. School begins and a new church life or a new church year does as well. And so it seemed appropriate for me to preach a few sermons on what does it mean to be the church as we launch into a new church year together. I just want to note one other thing about the prayer that I just offered that I meant to say before, and that is if you're interested in doing some meditation on Labor Day, there were a group of musicians who came together in New York City about five, six years ago. They're called the Porter's House, or no, rather the Porter's Gate, and they wrote a whole series of songs about the work that we do in God's world. And if you want to meditate on that work, just go to YouTube and find them today or tomorrow. There's some beautiful songs there. Now we turn our attention, as I said, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 12 through 20. Hear the word of God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jew or Greek, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is the word of God. May he bless it this morning as I explain it to you. A number of years ago, I had a conversation with a woman in another church that I was pastoring, and I was a little surprised by her question, but I'm very thankful for it this morning. Her husband, her daughter, and this woman had been visiting our church for almost a year, and I was very thankful for them because they served in a variety of ways. They were usually the first people to greet those who came to the church. They provided great care. Sometimes they even babysat our children when my wife and I went out. They seemed very connected. So I asked them the question, would you like to become members of our church? Again, I was a little surprised as well as now thankful for her answer. Her answer was in the form of a question. That is, why? Why would I be a member of a church? Why would I take vows to be part of this? Isn't it good enough for me just to be a Christian? What is the value in making a commitment to be part of a local church? Over the next number of weeks, I mean to answer that question from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think Paul is explaining the answer to precisely that question. And the answer that I'm going to give you this morning is not difficult to understand with our minds, but I think it will challenge our hearts in a very fundamental way. The answer is very simple. What Jesus says through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that if we are in Christ, then we are naturally in the church. That is, the two go together. If we're in Christ, we'll want to be part of the body, the local body that is the expression of the body of Christ that is the church. And the way in which Paul addresses the question, why would I be a member of a church, is by first giving us that simple truth that I have spoken, and that is to be in Jesus is to be in the church. And then he goes on to explain three ways in which being in the church is beneficial for us. And to be very clear, what I'm going to do this morning is first explain the principle. That is, what does Paul mean when he says to be in Jesus is to be in the church? And then secondly, I want to take the first of those three benefits or the three things that are good about that principle being true, and I want to explain that to you this morning. And then you can guess in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to explain the other two benefits to you as a congregation. So here's the question, why would I want to be a part of a church? And Paul's answer is, as I've already said a couple of times, we're called to be part of a church because we belong to Jesus. I'm going to go back in our passage and point out to you where that principle comes from. It comes in verses 12 and 13. And then it is repeated in verse 20. In verse 12, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were baptized into one spirit, no matter who we are, and all were made to drink of the same spirit, no matter who we are. And then at the end of this section, he says, as it is, there are many parts, but what? Yet one body. In verse 12, there's an obvious comparison between the bodies that we have here and then what it means to be the church. It's not hard to understand. I don't mean to belabor the point, but you understand that your bodies are integrated wholes. If I were to ask you this morning, how's your finger feeling? Unless you had something wrong with your finger, you'd think that's a very strange thing to ask. Why don't you just ask me how I'm doing? When I ask someone how they're doing, what I'm taking into account is the fullness of who they are, how your fingers, how your arms, how your mind, how your legs, how all of you is doing. It's not a very complicated idea. We have a body in which the parts all work together. But the other part of the comparison, the point that Paul is making, is that that is also true in Christ. In the sermons that follow, we'll see what he means by the body of Christ more specifically. But here he's pointing out this very clear comparison. That just what is natural in our bodies is also natural in the church. What we assume to be true about our bodies, we have one body and it all works together, must also be true within the body of Christ. Just as your arm is no good without a shoulder connected to it, your shoulder's no good without a back to connect to it, so individual Christians are substantially weakened being apart from the body of Christ. We need each other. And the point that Paul is making, and again, I feel like I belabor this a bit, but it's such a powerful point, is that all of these bodies work together, or all these parts of the body work together as one. There's one body, they need each other, they work together. The stress is on unity and oneness. Or to say it as I've already said it a couple of times, to be in Jesus means to be in the church. And Paul emphasizes that in verse 13. By the spiritual connection of Jesus' followers that we share in the Spirit. When we are in Jesus, according to verse 13, we're all baptized or made clean by the same Spirit. And we now drink or receive our nourishment from the same Spirit. This is the Spirit of Christ. Not only are we called to be one body, but how we start the Christian life and how we're sustained by the Christian life is the one Spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, he's saying, as we are in Christ, so we should be in the body. And Paul emphasizes that in a second way. Not only are we all members of Christ's body by the same Spirit who gives us life and sustains us life, Paul says very clearly in verse 13, that cuts across many of the points of division that ordinarily exist in human life. What matters within the church is not, first of all, where we come from, our likes or dislikes about politics, how much money we make, where we live. What cuts across all of these things are whether or not we are in Christ. If we are in Him, believe in Him, following Him, belonging to Him, then you belong within the church. Now, if I just step back from that principle for a moment, it might seem to many of us that that's an overstatement. In fact, this dear woman, who eventually did become a member of our church, 
a woman that I cared very much about along with her family. They were a tremendous blessing. I remember her wanting to sort of figure out the answer to the question that I was giving to her, and she had a number of objections in her mind, and maybe there are objections in your mind as well. Why is it true that to be in Christ means that I am a member of Christ's body, that is, the church? In fact, there are two such reasons for objecting that I want to consider with you this morning. The first really is an objection that comes from those of us who have been members or parts of a church for a long time. And we might object to being a member of a church because being in a church is often very messy and difficult. Is that true? (laughs) It can be very, very hard. I've told you, if you're a regular attender here, the story of my childhood and church many times. I'm not going to repeat it except to say it was a gigantic mess. I've also told you, it's amazing to me that I'm still a follower of Christ. It's almost beyond comprehension that now I'm a pastor of a church based on that history. Church was not a place in which there was a lot of love and kindness exhibited, at least in that period of my life. It was a place of heartache and difficulty. And I'd love to say that is one unique time in my life, but I've experienced difficulty in the church over and over again. Not always. Certainly belonging to the church is a very good thing. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, I have far more positive experience in the church than negative, but there are times in which being part of the church is very difficult. You see, friends that you have leaving over minor things, their problems at presbytery, people pushing their own agendas. Sometimes there's abuse in the church. Sometimes there's just plain ineffectiveness. We can say those things are not comfortable to talk about, but isn't it true we've many, many of us have experienced things exactly like this. When I list those things, you say, yeah, pastor, that's true. I've experienced that within the church. And then you've also come to the point, at least some of us, where we've thought about the question, well, then why am I here? If being part of a church is difficult, why in the world would I be here? And then some of us go even further to ask the question, and how have I contributed to the messiness of this church? Be honest. The problem is not just those other people. Sometimes the problem is me. What I want you to see is that the principle that is given here is given to a church in Corinth that is far messier than any church I have ever experienced. If the principle is, if you are in Jesus, then you should be a member of Christ's church, would have sounded to these Corinthians as an incredible claim. You begin the book, and what do you read about the Corinthians not being able to get along? They were split into factions. You read a little bit further, you read about horrible sexual immorality in the church, and the church tolerated it. Read a bit further, and they were suing each other in civil court, when in fact Paul says, if you're a brother or sister in the Lord, should you not work this out together? There were all kinds of reasons why the people in the Corinthian church may have said to themselves, why in the world am I here? And it is in the middle of that mess that Paul writes these words, just as the body is one and is so members and so many members, so it is with Christ. Maybe we object because being part of the church is difficult. 
It is. Not always, but sometimes it is very hard. The second objection that I want to acknowledge about the claim to be in Christ means to be in the church, if that is true, then God is calling us to something that is truly countercultural. And that may form the second objection. Being part of a church, being committed to a local body of believers is one of the most countercultural things you can do. That's a bold claim, so let me explain. It is so countercultural, my friends, because we've been taught in a million ways that our religious life is my business and no one else should be able to tell me about it. What I believe and what I do is entirely up to me. What choices I make are my own. No one else's business. Or perhaps if we've progressed a bit, we say my choices are just between me and God. And then along comes this passage in which Paul says, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you ought to belong to a body of Christ. And it challenges us deeply. Because to belong to a body of Christ means that we not only contribute to the whole, others are contributing to us. And sometimes in the process of discipleship, there are difficult things that we must say to each other and help each other through. And it's difficult. It's hard. And maybe you say to yourself, well, then why should I be a member of a church? Why would I do that? And along comes Paul again to this body of the Corinthians and says, but you are placed within the body of Christ. He chooses those whom he places here. And Paul says you are called as you are in Christ to ordinarily be within the church with all of its complications and all of its difficulties, with all of its messiness, with all of the tendency we have in our life To segment that part off from the rest of who we are, Paul says that you are called to be part of the church. And in order to give balance to what I'm saying here this morning, I simply want to answer for you the question, if there are many reasons why it seems counter to our intuition not to be part of the church, why would I be? Why would I be then? Certainly, if you follow what I'm saying here in 1 Corinthians 12, you'll say, I see what Paul is saying. There's a body, just as I have one body. And each member must be part of that body in order for the body to be whole. There must be a unity in the body. So it it is also with the church. If you believe that to be true... I'm going to go beyond simply saying that it's true in this passage. I want to show you the goodness of that this morning. And to show you the goodness of that, I want to go to a passage that Paul uses very early on in the book of 1 Corinthians. To this very messy, troubled church, the one to whom he gives these words. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 4 through 9, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You might ask me, well, what does that have to do with this point? The answer is, in this section of 1 Corinthians, Paul is not talking to each individual. He is talking to each, but he's talking to them as a body that is a whole. He's addressing them, you as all of you, as those who are together within the church. And he says to those who are together in the church, you are not lacking in any gift. You are complete together as a whole. You are complete. If you remember, perhaps you remember, perhaps you don't, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul has worked through the various gifts that belong to the church. He's going to return to that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But at the beginning of the book, he says, God has so equipped the body of Christ that there is no lacking within it when we together belong. If I can just put it this way, maybe a bit more clearly, the reason in which Christ calls us into the church is because Jesus Christ cares for you. He loves you. He wants you to know that love in very tangible ways. He wants you to hear the voice of someone else on the phone saying, how are you? Can I meet you for coffee? So that you would know that the love of Christ is not only found in the word, but it is embodied within the church. He wants you to know that when you're struggling in some place in your life, there are people who surround you with love and care to carry you along when it feels as though you have nothing left. He wants you to know that if there are places in your life in which you're living in rebellion against God, there's a body of believers who can encourage you and challenge you to walk in faithfulness after Him. Is that not the love of Christ? He wants to give you a body so that on a Sunday you can come and hear the news over and over that as miserable as you feel, no matter how much you question whether Jesus Christ could die for someone like you, the answer is resoundingly, yes! It's true! Our Savior died for miserable sinners like me. He wants you to know that's true. And the place in which you will find all of those things is within the body of Christ. Not always in exactly the way that is perfect. Not always in the way that we exactly want. But the body of Christ is the place in which the love and care of Jesus for his people is meant to be found. And it is for that reason that again I say to you that Paul's central point in these verses is that to be in Jesus means we will also belong to his church. I want to add one more thing to that in verses 14 through 19. I said at the beginning of this sermon that Paul lays out three benefits to belonging in the church beyond those things I've already noted. 
And the first one, the first benefit to belonging in the church, to the church, according to verses 14 through 20, is that we complement each other within the body. That we are called into a body means that God so puts together that body that what happens within that body is each part does its part to serve the whole. By compliment, of course, I'm going beyond simply meaning that we say nice things about each other in the church, although that's really nice to do. We ought to do that. There are many places in the world that are not very encouraging, where there's not a great deal of love shown. The church ought to be a place where that's shown in spades. But by compliment, I mean to go beyond that to what we find particularly in verses 18 through 19, that God has strategically composed his church and this particular church so that those who are here fill out the whole. In another place, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says more specifically that God has given various gifts to the church so that we grow into maturity into, he says, the fullness of Christ. What does that mean exactly? Let me give you an example. Sometimes I think to myself, I'm very organized. And I'm very good at making lists. I've discovered I'm very good at being organized and making lists in spurts. I know I should. I try to. And I watch my wife, for example, make lists that make sure everything gets done. And I think, I'm not good at that. (laughs) And within our particular body of the church, I'm very thankful if I can just point out something that is very important, even though it may seem very minor, that the Lord has composed our particular staff in this church so there are people who are far more organized than I am. I like to think I'm more of a big picture person. You can judge whether that's true. But the Lord has given us some really, really good people who cross every T and dot every I. And even though that might seem rather insignificant to you, to me, it means things are done in a way that matters. That even the small things are taken care of in a way that people are honored and respected. I remember when our admin, previous admin, retired, I thought to myself, that's going to be the most important thing that's missed, and yet the Lord has provided in a wonderful way. I'm sure you could also tell many stories if you've been in a church for any amount of time where you've watched that happen. People encouraging you, taking off for lunch. Maybe you're somebody who's young. And someone who's older takes you out for lunch and asks the question, where's your life going? How can I encourage you? What advice can I give to you? There's so many ways in which the thing that Paul is talking about, the ears, the eyes, all those parts of the body are meant to work together that we experience within the body the fullness of Christ. Let me ask you the question, have you experienced this? Or better yet, how have you contributed to this within the body of Christ? What is very clear to me this morning is that if we are in Christ, Paul says we will be in his church. And if we are in his church, we will contribute to the well-being and the wholeness of those around us. 
And again, I don't want to simply say that without telling you how important and good that is. Much of our lives is lived in a quid quo pro fashion. That is, you do something for me and I'll do something in return. There's very few places in which people do things for others simply out of kindness and love. You know the motivation in the church is that most of us are not paid for what we do. It's not as though you show up to volunteer for food pantry and Mr. Hill runs out and gives you a check and says, way to go. You've now fulfilled your responsibility. Here's your payment. No, we volunteer. We give of ourselves. Why do we give? Because we know the way in which Christ has first given to us. The motivation is not what we receive in terms of monetary payment, not even compliments. What we give comes from a heart of love and care for others. What is the explanation for that? The only explanation that works long-term and is sustainable is if the Christ who says, if you are in me, you are in the church, is also moving the body to care for each other out of genuine love for him. Earlier in this week, someone noted to me an article that was written for those who are headed off for college. And it's a time of year where everyone asks the question, how do you equip those who are headed off to college to really thrive when they're in college? Many first-year students are going away for the first time for a sustained period away from their families. What's the most important piece of advice to give those who are leaving for college? And this pastor said the singular most important piece of advice to give to those who are leaving for college is this. Go find a church. Go find a place to belong. Find a place where people not only worship the Lord, but care for each other. Because over and over in the Bible, true discipleship happens when the Word of God, which is authoritative and true takes root in the lives of people who care and challenge and encourage each other in the Lord. Friend, if you came here this morning with any doubt about the church of Jesus Christ and your place in it, I pray the Lord has challenged you this morning. If you came here discouraged and uncertain where you might belong, no matter who you are, whether there is a place to belong, May the Lord have encouraged you this morning. If you are in Christ, my friend, you belong in the church. That is his good news to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we lift our hearts and our voices to you this morning, recognizing how much of our heart would much rather follow our own way than follow Christ. And yet in following our own way, we often experience difficulty and heartache in ways that we could not imagine. To follow after something beside Christ is to be enslaved according to your word. And we pray that the words that we have just heard are not only true and accurate according to your word, they're also liberating. That they provide for us a life in our Savior 
in which we experience true freedom. And we pray for each one of those who, is, who are here, those who are also streaming over the internet. We're joyful, Lord, for the honor and the privilege of belonging to the body of Christ. It is an amazing thing. In spite of all the heartache and messiness that is often entailed, the beauty and the glory and the encouragement and the satisfaction of knowing Christ and knowing His people is far more than we could ever deserve. And so we give you thanks for this body and for other churches where Jesus Christ is honored. We give you praise this morning as we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing, Oh, how good it is.
We're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're not familiar with the Lord's Supper, it's one of the sacraments we say that Christ has given to his church. And the sacraments are his signs and seals. That's technical language to say they're meant to convey to us the same truth that we find in the preaching of the word. That Christ is who he claims to be and his promises are true and valid. Especially in regard to the Lord's Supper, what we believe to be true is that in just a moment you're going to take ordinary bread cut into small chunks. You're going to hold it in your hand. And there are these cups. They're just very small cups like this with ordinary juice. What makes what we're about to do something that is a sacrament are not the elements themselves, but rather it is the promises of Jesus Christ by His Spirit that are attached to these things. We say then in the celebration of the Lord's Supper is certainly as you'll take that little piece of bread and you'll eat it, and you'll take the little cup and you'll drink it, so certain can you be that Jesus Christ and his promises are real for you. Now I say that also conscious of the fact that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives a warning to the church. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What that means is you're called to examine, to ask yourself a central question. And that is, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? That's a question you are asked to consider. That is various parts. First, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you rest in relying upon Him? It also requires you to ask the question, are there sins in your life that you have sort of come at peace with? That is, you're saying, I'm going to continue in them. They don't really matter. Maybe God knows, but He'll have to look past them. Every single one of us is a sinner in some way. There's no question about it. The question of examination is not whether you're a sinner, The question is whether you are a repenting sinner. Because if there are sins you hold on to and you say, but Jesus Christ cannot have lordship over this area of my life, then Paul says, be careful. Because this sacrament, which is meant to affirm to you the reality of Christ's promises, if you eat and drink in a way that you know is false, you actually do damage to yourself. The other thing that you are asked to consider as you come to the Lord's Supper is whether you're also joined to the church. And I just talked for a while about 1 Corinthians 12 and what it means to belong to Christ and His church. Being within the church means that we've committed ourselves to the benefit of the whole. Paul says in another place in this passage, he says, if you don't discern the body, you are in error. The body there likely has two references. Do you discern the body of Christ? That is what it means for Jesus to have sacrificed his body for you. But it also is asking the question, do you discern the body of Christ as you see it on this earth? Do you discern what it means to belong to a body like this? And so it is fair for me to ask you the question, do you also agree that to belong to Christ means to belong to his body? Because Paul says this sacrament belongs to the body of Christ. 
Now, having asked you those questions, I don't mean to discourage you in any way, because the sacrament, also called the Eucharist and other place of Christendom, is meant to be a celebration of the body of Christ. It is solemn in that the death of Christ is solemn, but it is joyful because it is meant to communicate to you that Jesus Christ genuinely died for you, my friend. This is Christ given for you. There can be no greater celebration then Christ gave himself in your place. There is no condemnation now or forever for those who are in Jesus Christ. When you eat that piece of bread and you drink that cup, do so with celebration that Christ has died in your place. Let me encourage you then to come. In our church, we don't restrict the celebration of the Lord's Supper to only those who are here regularly. If you are a member of Christ's body and you're living after him, Not only do we invite you to come, we encourage you. This is our celebration together. Before I set aside the elements for the sacrament, I want to join you in prayer. After the prayer, I'll set aside the elements. Then they'll be distributed to you. When you receive them, just take them and hold on to them. And after everyone has received them, we'll eat together. Join me in prayer. Father, it is good for us to know the reality of Christ's life and death in our place. We recognize that we are often weak and our faith flounders. But because of the joy of the word of Christ in his word and the confirming sacraments, one of which we're about to receive, we can, as the writer of Hebrews says, come boldly before your throne. Not with hesitation, not with fear, but with genuine joy that Jesus Christ is ours. Lord, may that spirit be here this morning as we receive these elements. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, as I now ministering the Lord's Supper in the name of Jesus Christ, say to you, this bread The body of Christ is given for you.
take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, and having given thanks, as has been done in his name, he gave it to his disciples, as I now ministering in the name of Jesus Christ, also minister it to you.
Our Lord Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, it is because you love us so much that you have sent your Son. It is because you know us so well that you've given us both the preaching of your word as well as the sacrament that we have just enjoyed. You know our weakness, you know our struggles, you know the places of our successes as well as our failures. And we say along with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything that is in me, bless his holy name. We give praise to you and thanks that you are God who's so good to us. And you've placed us within a body of believers where we can worship you together, we can care for each other, and we can celebrate the goodness of this sacrament together. Lord, fill us with the comfort of this truth that Jesus is ours and we are his. Encourage us as we walk before you. We need your help, and you've promised by your Spirit to give it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, to receive the blessing, the final blessing the Lord gives us this morning. Afterward, there's a song we call a doxology. I just want to remind you that after the service is over, there are a couple of elders who meet up in the front here. Their purpose is to pray with you. So if you've had something you'd like to pray about, you're more than welcome to do it. I'm not sure which one of the brothers will be up there this morning, but you'll see him right up here. You're also welcome to stay for some time of cookies and whatever else we have back there, coffee, I'm sure, and a good time of fellowship. Receive this blessing from the Lord. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you perfect in every good work as you do his will, working in you so that uh, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.